0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, December 14th, we are studying 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1-5. to St. Paul tells the church in Corinth to regard him and his co-workers as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today. We have with us the Rev. Dr. Jeff Dukeman. Pastor Dukeman serves at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Gulfport, Mississippi. Pastor Dukeman, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Pastor Apple. Glad to have you with us today, Pastor. We are looking at 1 Corinthians 4, which is the epistle reading that is appointed for the third Sunday in Advent for the one-year lectionary. So this is that's the reason this text shows up in this series. And I will be honest that when I put together this series. This was the epistle reading that kind of had me scratching my head a little bit when I saw that reference. The first thought that popped into my mind was not Advent, and yet here it is in the season of Advent. So as as we get started today, just, I mean, give us kind of that broad overview. What is a text like this, First Corinthians 4, stewards of of the mysteries of God, what's this going to have to do with the season of Advent?
1: Well, I think a connection can be made Um, Just by looking at God's grace in this passage, um, 1 Corinthians, as we'll see, deals a lot with division and unity. Uh, Those themes come up in the first chapter, and I think that as you look at a text like this, which reflects some of this division and unity, uh, this theme, you can see that God reckons the Corinthians as as unified in spite of the fact that they, they aren't very unified. And so I think that that strong notion of God's grace and love is, uh, is a theme that can tie in with, uh, with the Christmas season.
0: Very good. I look forward to exploring that with you, because again, this is just not a passage that I would associate with this time of year, but I'm, I'm glad to have that opportunity. Now, you you brought out a little bit of the context of 1 Corinthians already, and, and this is always a challenge. Anytime you just jump into a book of the Bible and you pick out one text, what's been going on before, what's coming after, particularly in a letter like 1 Corinthians, we have looked briefly— at part of chapter one is a part of this series part of first corinthians chapter one is an another advent epistle we've obviously that's been several days ago now and and we're farther along in the letter so help us with some context as we prepare to look at paul talking about servants of christ stewards of the mysteries of god what kind of information do we need to know about the letter and what paul's been saying up to this point what's still coming that's going to help us with these verses
1: yeah, Pastor Apple, I whenever I look at these kind of texts, and especially for something like Advent, midweek Advent services, I tend to look at the, the larger context and really look in quite a bit of depth and detail at that to really help us to have the best context possible for understanding the passage. So where I thought we would start, as you mentioned, is um, I've got my old uh, NIV study Bible from, from when I was a kid. And... Um, I a lot of times reference that whenever I'm looking at uh, the introduction, especially uh, I look at that whenever I'm starting to prepare for sermons. And there are there's some some di- some details in here that I think that are somewhat helpful. And I thought I'd just kind of review a couple of them with you. Uh, the letter was written around 55 A.D. toward the close of Paul's th- three-year residency in Ephesus. As far as the city of Corinth itself, it was a uh, it was a larger city than I had remembered. Uh, according to this work, it says that uh, in Paul's day, Corinth likely had a population of about 250,000 free person priests, free persons, as as well as uh, around 400,000 slaves. And so, in, in many ways, it was the chief city of Greece. Mm-hmm. When you look at the culture, it it was not. Uh, not a university town like Athens, although they weren't too far apart. It was uh, characterized by an interest in uh, Greek philosophy and placed a high value on wisdom. Corinth at one time contained at least 12 temples. We're not sure whether all these were used at Paul's time, but it was known for, uh, or the, the, perhaps the most infamous temple was dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, whose worshipers practiced religious prostitution. And so, uh, like any commercial city, Corinth was a center for open and unbridled immorality. The worship of Aphrodite fostered prostitution in the name of religion. And at one time, a thousand sacred prostitutes served her temple. And so we can see the sort of city that Corinth was, and that starts to lay the foundation for the nature of 1 Corinthians itself as I briefly mentioned at the very beginning, 1 Corinthians, in its first chapter, brings up the related themes of division and unity. And so we know that some, um, from, the, from 1 Corinthians itself, we know that some in Corinth had contacted Paul while he was in Ephesus, and we'll get to some more of that context in a moment, but some had, had contacted Paul about problems that were going on in the church. And then some were also contacting Paul through letter um, about uh, just questions about theology or practice. And so you can see kind of a positive and a, a negative there in, in, a, in writing to Paul. So that's that's, um, that's what the, my, my NIV study Bible, those are a couple of notes I thought that were, were, uh, were somewhat helpful. And then uh, to get some more context, uh, we can look at uh, the Book of Acts, especially, and look at Corinth in the context of Paul's second and third missionary journeys, hmm. and so we can, we can, and, and Pastor Apple, feel free to stop me at any, <laughs> any time if if you want to. Uh, question or comment or talk about something.
0: Sure. Well go go ahead. Just keep keep going into the missionary journeys and then maybe we'll we'll pause for, for a second. I mean I think the, the introduction you gave us to the city of Corinth is helpful because that really does lay a foundation for a lot of what happens in First Corinthians. But sometimes that history from the book of Acts, I know it in my own my own mind, that's not something I always have the best feel for. So put us into the context of Paul's ministry that we get from the book of Acts.
1: Okay. Yeah, um, we can start in Acts 17, and there we uh, see how Paul, in his second missionary journey, you know, his first missionary journey had been to eastern Asia Minor, to Galatia. In his second missionary journey, Paul goes to uh, to Thess- Thessalonica. That's where the, the, uh, the letters to Thessalonians, first and second, after that town. But he was chased, when he went there, he was chased by some of the Thessalonian Jews there to Berea, which wasn't too far away. And then after some time, those, that, those same Thessalonicans then chased Paul to Athens. So we can see that that second uh, missionary journey involves some persecution of Paul and some, some need to, to relocate, uh, to get away from, from northern Greece down towards southern Greece uh, to uh, Achaia northern greece is macedonia southern greece is Achaia, where athens and corinth were and so in acts 18 we see paul's time in corinth during the second missionary journey and that missionary journey was from approximately uh 49 to 52 a.d we see from acts 18 that paul had stayed with priscilla and aquila in corinth at the beginning of acts 18 they were fellow tent makers, with, and Paul actually joined in them in that work. And they they would accompany him uh, after he left Corinth eventually to Ephesus near the end of the second uh, missionary journey. In Acts 18.11, we see that Paul is in Corinth for about a year and a half. And so if that missionary journey is from 49 to 52, we see that most of his time was spent in Corinth. It was kind of his home base for uh for that missionary journey. I, I sometimes find that a little bit surprising. Um, we might think that Paul might, you know, he was in Galatia, we might think he might go a little bit West and just be in Western Asia Minor, but no, he's, he skips over that and really is, is centered in Greece, uh, for the second missionary journey. Mm. You
0: know, what strikes me just briefly about that, Pastor Dukeman, that we, we've looked at a a text from 1 Thessalonians and you mentioned how Paul was there formed that church in Thessalonica and then got chased out of town pretty quickly and he was very concerned about the faith of that new church and he got a good report from Timothy and that's part of the joy that's there in first Thessalonians and and yet and so I mean it, it strikes me as I don't know if it's ironic or what but but that you know he was there a very short time and that church had a you know I think it, it gets a pretty good reputation from the letter of first Thessalonians he spends a long time here in Corinth, a year and a half, you said. And when I think of the church in Corinth, I think of the problem church of the New Testament. And I mean, so it's just, it's ironic to me that he spent much more time there. And yet that congregation is going to deal with all these problems that, I don't know, that's, that's maybe doesn't have much of a point other than to say sin attacks all Christians and and it happens in in the Corinthians. And so Paul has to write this letter. So, I mean, it's just, that just really, as a part of this series that, that struck me that, I don't know if irony is the right word.
1: No, I, I know what you're saying. Whenever I think of first Corinthians, I, the first thing I think of is, uh, is all the problems. Cause there's a laundry list yeah. of them there. And, uh, but I think that's where, in just looking at this, especially, um, I kind of better appreciated, not just the, the problems that were in Corinth, but also some of the strengths of the congregation. Sure. And as well as, as God's grace in the midst of that, he loved them in spite of all their problems and their flaws, um, we we I know from Second Corinthians, there's even a, a point where Paul says that he uh, that he that he had heard that he'd hurt their feelings somewhat because of because of uh, First Corinthians because of so much of the their dirty laundry is aired and um, he was addressing it uh, so that so apparently the Corinthians themselves even even were were taken aback by uh, by Paul's first letter to them. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Pastor Dukeman, I think I interrupted you. You you told us about the second missionary journey, and Paul's actually in Corinth for that, and then was there some from the third missionary journey that's helpful context as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. So then, um, towards the end of the second missionary journey, we hear that Paul went um, over into Ephesus in Western Asia Minor, and he left uh, Priscilla and Aquila. He had been staying with there, but he always stayed for a very short time, and um, and so in the third missionary journey, we we see in Acts 18:23 is where it begins. Paul first goes to Galatia, and then uh, we see in, in eight, at the end of chapter 18 that Priscilla and Aquila encounter uh, Paul's uh, one of Paul's co-laborers, Apollos. They encounter him in Ephesus, but at this point he's pretty green. And so they, uh, Priscilla and Aquila have to teach him more fully about the faith. But then after that period of instruction, they then send him back to Achaia, back to where, where Corinth and, and Athens were. And then we come to the beginning of Acts 19, and we see Paul return to Ephesus. So this time around, he's kind of going, I guess it would be uh, clockwise. He's starting in Ephesus, where he ended in Ephesus the last time. Only now he has a much longer stay, a stay of approximately three years. So this is really the, the heart of the third missionary journey is here now in uh, Western Asia Minor in Ephesus. We know that 1 uh, Corinthians was written at to-, to Corinth while Paul was here in Ephesus on the third journey. It mentions the collection of the saints towards the end of the letter in 1 Corinthians 16.1, which means that it was likely written around the same time as Romans. Uh, because the Romans, uh, towards the end of that letter, mentions that same collection for the the poverty-stricken church in Jerusalem. So that's, again, around 55, mid-50s AD. Then my NIV study Bible uh, saying of this says, the letter was written circa 55 toward the close of Paul's three-year residency in Ephesus. It is clear from his reference to staying at Ephesus until Pentecost 16.8, 16:8, 1 Corinthians 16:8, that he intend he intended to remain there somewhat less than a year when he wrote 1 Corinthians. That's kind of important because the Corinthians got the impression that Paul would be coming to see them on that third missionary journey relatively quickly. So they were they were gathering this collection of money uh, for this donation to the church in Jerusalem, and Paul ended up being delayed in coming. Mm. And so uh, that kind of brings up Second Corinthians. So I'd like to just read real quickly here. Uh, what again from the NIV Study by on that? The available evidence indicates that the year 55 AD is a reasonable estimate for the writing of Second Corinthians. Um, Second Corinthians was written later that of that same year of 55, before the onset of of winter, and Second Corinthians 2:13 uh, and 7:5 indicate that it was written from Macedonia. So First Corinthians was written while paul was still in ephesus and then uh, a little while later maybe 6 months something like that uh, or maybe maybe a little longer um it, it's uh, he writes second corinthians to the corinthians uh, uh, from northern greece so he's getting he's getting closer to them there mm. and then uh in acts 19 21 uh, that's written from ephesus it's kind of an, an important passage in, in acts and we're coming to the end of this survey of acts but It says, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So there you have uh, that Paul, we see Paul's uh, inspired by the spirit or uh, somehow moved by the spirit. Paul from Ephesus decides he wants to go to northern Greece and Macedonia and then to uh, Achaia, to Jerusalem and eventually Rome. I think that probably plays into um, to, to even I've read um, about this that uh, might have even had something to do with the with the, uh, the writing of Romans, just this this travel itinerary that, that Paul has here in in Romans, or excuse me, in Acts 19. Hmm. And and so uh, finally, Romans was was written around 57 A.D. likely from Corinth on that third missionary journey when he finally got there. Um, it, it, that's what some scholars say is that he he could have written romans there and then sent it by messengers just uh just shortly not too far away to to rome itself mm. so that that kind of gives uh, some some of the thoughts i had about uh the context of the church in corinth and the 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 letter of paul to corinth the first one uh, from the book of acts mainly
0: Sure yeah so i mean we've got paul this is just to kind of to summarize this is a church that he knows well he's he was with them for a year and a half as a part of his second missionary journey he writes back to them to address some of the things that they've brought up to him by letter that happens during his third missionary journey and it's really in the heart of his of his ministry here that we're we're talking about you know it's not toward either extreme the very beginning or the very end it's kind of right in the middle that's the context of writing this letter to the corinthians and you've mentioned already pastor Dukeman. well some of the context of the city of corinth itself this was a very notorious town for many reasons and now let's i mean you've brought up as well some of the there are a lot of issues in Corinth. The letter particularly First Corinthians is one of those letters that Paul gets very specific with the things that he deals with. And as you said, there are strengths and weaknesses that he brings up. What are those strengths and weaknesses that he brings up in this epistle?
1: Yeah, I think maybe we'll start with the weaknesses because that's what we're probably more used to thinking about yeah. as we've kind of discussed. Um we see already in that first chapter that there are divisions among Uh, The Corinthians that Paul uh, addresses and that in many ways that's kind of a summary of what's going to follow the other problems flow from those divisions. We see that there are lawsuits of Christians against one another in the secular courts. There is uh, sexual immorality, uh, no doubt influenced by the similar uh, sexual immorality from the city of Corinth from from the pagan worship there. At the Lord's Supper, there is uh, there's drunkenness involved. There is favoring the strong over the weak. Then we also see some problems in terms of, um, of so-called spiritual gifts. And so, for example, speaking in tongues. And so um, there, I I don't think that Paul's really talking about, you know, the Pentecost, Acts 2, uh, speaking in foreign languages. But more like we might think of speaking in tongues today, where it's speaking in tongues. In, um, some type of unknown language, but uh, but not having someone interpret it. So it's just no one can understand what's being said uh, or if whether this is legitimate. And uh, and then also towards the end, First Corinthians 15, a, a famous chapter on their understanding of the res- resurrection. Uh, there was there was questions about that. And one final thing would be, and I think it's especially important for our text that we're considering is a questioning of apostolic authority. And we're going to see that when we come a little closer to looking at 1 Corinthians 4, and even 1 Corinthians 3 before it, that there is this questioning of, of Paul's authority. And it kind of struck me as I was looking through 2 Corinthians a little bit that Paul, while he, he, he commends the repentance of the church at Corinth in the wake of the first letter, he also spends an off, almost the entire letter kind of defending his apostolic authority and um, and so it tells me that that was a, a significant problem.
0: So, Pastor Dukeman, with with all of that context there in First Corinthians, I think you you covered the the weaknesses. Are there are there strengths that we should also know for purposes of First Corinthians four?
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe a, a little bit less uh, less well known or things right. we don't think about as much would be. Uh, I've got a couple here. One would be that that Corinth was a, really a place of refuge in the second missionary journey. We've already seen that Paul had to leave Thessalonica because of persecution, and then uh, the Thessalonians followed him to Berea. He had to leave there. He chased him to Athens. There's even some indications that in Athens, um, we, we know posit- more positively that um, from Acts that the Lord discloses to, to Paul that there are many of his people in Corinth. And it kind of suggests that maybe even in Athens itself, that Paul was he wasn't able to stay there as long, and there might have been some resistance there. Uh, we know Paul on the what, the Areopagus, the, his famous speech in Acts 17, um, but it, it, it appears that there was a, a more welcome reception for Paul in in Corinth than, than anywhere else. And so that's that's really to their to their credit, considering you know the size of of, of that city of Corinth and all the different cultural influences and yet this was the place where where Paul could find a home on the second missionary journey uh, whenever he had experienced a lot of persecution we, another another thing similar or related to that would be that Paul uh, wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians from there and perhaps as as i mentioned perhaps Romans as well so just as that uh, church in Corinth was a, a place of refuge. It also it allowed Paul to do this evangelistic work by by reading, uh, writing these these uh, epistles that we know and love from our, our Bibles. Another strength is, can, can be seen from the fact that uh, on the third journey, the third missionary journey, that the church at Corinth did contribute to Paul's monetary collection for the church in Jerusalem. So we see some of their their generosity in in play. And then finally, just from uh, 1 Corinthians 1 itself, verses 4 through 9, Paul talks about them having been enriched in every way so that they do not lack in any spiritual gift. So in spite of the fact that there are some problems with with these spiritual gifts, the, the beginning of the letter can also say that more positively that there is present there, kind of mixed in with that, that there are many spiritual gifts. There's no lack in spiritual gifts there in the church in Corinth.
0: Mm-hmm. That that, chap, that text from chapter 1 is is one that we did cover here on Sharper Iron during this season of Advent. And I, I think bringing that up yet again is always helpful, because you see how the grace of God, which is the greeting that Paul gives them there in chapter 1, that did something in the church in Corinth. And for all the, you know, just like you, I, I know this church for its problems— for all of that, Paul writes to them as Christians, to those who have received the grace of God and in whom the grace of God has accomplished his work, his will. And I mean, that, that's so important that Paul doesn't write as an enemy of this church, but as a friend, as a pastor to this church. And I mean, that that spirit pervades this whole letter, including the text that we've got today. Now, you know, you've mentioned a variety of the issues that this church dealt with, and, and one of them specifically is the division and the unity. And that, that brings us very close to the context for chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. What What is the, the very specific context of the, the division that's there in Corinth that's going to be behind what Paul writes in the text we get today?
1: Yeah, I, I think that really our text kind of belongs in many ways with uh, most of 1 Corinthians 3 prior to it, as it uh, as it talks about this this division that was was going on. I'm going to pull that up really quickly here. So in uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, in the, the beginning of that chapter, we in verses 1 through 9 we can see some of this division. Um, I, I can just read a little bit of it, perhaps. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you have you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So, so here we, we see that um, uh, that within that church at Corinth, there were some people that were seeming seemed to be latching onto the personalities of Paul and Apollos rather than seeing them as as it says here as co-workers, as as both pastors in Christ and both workers for, with the same purpose of building up this church in Corinth. There were some who were, uh, whether they were, they, they weren't focusing on on the doctrine and the fellowship together, but instead were, were, fought, were, were looking at personal allegiance and, and, uh, and personality and things of that sort. And we see something similar towards the end of 1 Corinthians 3 in, uh, verse, in the final uh, five verses, verses 18 through 23, I guess six verses. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So here, uh, there seems to be a connection being made here. We talked before in the introduction about the, the value of wisdom in Corinth in general, just the city, and you get the sense here that maybe among some of the people there is a a more worldly type of wisdom that is uh, opposed to the true wisdom that is found in in Christ and in the Gospel, uh, so it, it's not as it says here. Let no one boast in men. In a worldly type of wisdom, we can again get get tied to a personality, get tied to how big this person's church is, or how big this person's following following is. But but uh, but here Paul says no. That's not we are what we're to focus on. We're we are together in one church. Uh, we're not we are not to be divided like that. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants us, uh, while each, while Paul and Apollos each have unique gifts, and, you know, as Paul says, you know, Paul planted and Apollos watered. What really matters is that God gives the growth. God works through both Apollos and Paul as His servants, and and through them He He gives growth, and in their wake, um, through through the response of of people to that gospel message, mm. and so that's that's the true wisdom is recognizing. Uh, not how Paul and Apollos differ, and how they have uh, one has this gift and one has another. But instead, uh, the true wisdom is to see that both Paul and Apollos belong to Christ, and Christ Himself showed forth wisdom, uh, not not through uh, a showy display um, in order to gain a following, but rather He showed His wisdom especially through through dying on a cross. Hmm. And First Corinthians is also the place where it talks about how. Uh, how the gospel and, and the cross are foolishness, are stumbling blocks to the Jews and a foolishness to the Gentiles, and so so we, we have uh, we have Paul driving people back to to the true wisdom, rather than a, a worldly wisdom that would that would try to that would cause divisions in connection with different different pastors at work amongst the Corinthians.
0: So that sets the stage for what we will pick up on the other side of the break, the text from 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 5. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFU. We're talking with Pastor Jeff Dukeman this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, December 14th. We're studying 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 5 with Pastor Jeff Dukeman. He serves at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Gulfport, Mississippi. Pastor Dukeman, prior to the break, we were laying out the context of the letter to the Corinthians, this first letter that Paul writes them, and the division that's happening there, this attaching to personalities, Paul, Apollos, who do you like better? It's not about that, Paul says. And that's where we come to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 5. The apostle is going to center it all in Christ. St. Paul writes, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. That's our text for today. That's 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 5. And again, that's the epistle reading for the third Sunday in Advent in the one-year lectionary. So, Pastor Dukeman, I, I think of these verses. The first one is the most familiar. This is how one should regard us, servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. Take us in into both of those. What is what does Paul mean by servants of Christ, and then stewards of the mysteries of God?
1: Yeah, um, the, the word for for servants here from the Greek is um, it's it's oiko. Um, Oikonomus, um kind of hear the English word economy. It had to do with with a household, and so they aren't masters of a household, but they are, um, but they are more workers. Um, they're trustees of the household on on behalf of the uh, the true master of the house, which would be Jesus. And so we we see here that um, this this context that we looked at just a moment ago from 1 Corinthians 3 continues over into this text. It says this is how once you regard us, that, that plural pronoun. And then if you look uh, just, just after this text, in verse 6, the next verse, it says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up be puffed up in favor of one against another. So here Paul really is honing in on this division between uh, followers of Paul, followers of Apollos. And he says that uh, we are we are stewards. We are servants of Christ. We're not the masters of the house, but another is the master. So we are stewards helping take care of the house.
0: So what are what are these I mean with that word stewards particularly it, Paul says they're stewards of the mysteries of God what are the mysteries of God that Paul and Apollos and I, I want to come to this and I I think we're going to say pastors today are given to to care for to to use according to the master's direction what are those mysteries
1: Yeah whenever we uh look at these mysteries of God there are some from a biblical perspective, there is some disagreement. I know uh, I've read that the Eastern Church tends to view just the, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper as mysteries. Um, but I, I believe that there there's a wider meaning here, and you can look you can see that by looking at the uh, the beginning of First Corinthians two, and especially verse seven stuck out to me. There we hear. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And so here, the, the mysteries, it talks about the secret and hidden wisdom of God. So part of the mysteries of God are what God was doing at the time of creation itself. As it says here, decreed before the ages for our glory. So we might think maybe of the first article of the creed there, uh, the father as creator in order part of of the mysteries of God is is this confession of the father as creator and what his uh, what his plan, his good and gracious plan for his world was. And then also um, those mysteries are also tied in these same places. First Corinthians one and two, it talks quite a bit about the wisdom of the cross so that, too is another foundational mystery. Uh, the, the, the cross itself, it's, it's something that's not intuitively obvious to, uh, to a fallen world, that uh, where should one look to find God? Well, in a, in a crucified man uh, on a cross, by a, a man who's crucified by the Romans. Again, that might be foolishness or a stumbling block to the world, but to those uh, who, who, who are being saved, it is the, the wisdom of God. So we kind of have... Uh, what I look at is the the two key um, salvation history doctrines the father as creator and the son as uh, the redeemer kind of kind of bookends as the way I look at that you know the father at the beginning especially associated with his work of creation and the the son bringing that world to fulfillment uh, through his cross and resurrection uh, ushering in the end times um, so those those are part of the mysteries of God and then in a related way, we can see uh, the sacraments as well um, as connected to those things. Uh, the uh, Paul and Apollos are stewards of the mysteries of God. So it wasn't just that they were stewards of a doctrine that was was handed down from person to person. Uh, they were also stewards of of, of the church itself, of uh, of rites that were taking place. So, for example, uh, baptism is is a mystery of God. It it and I think I I tend to tie it to especially. Uh, God as Creator, uh, the the God who has created the world, recreates us through water and spirit in Holy Baptism. He helps us to be born again. He adopts us as His children. He tells us He loves us. Then likewise, uh, in terms of the wisdom of the cross, we we get a picture of that at the Lord's Supper, where we um, where we participate in the Lord's body and blood. We remember uh, our, the worst of our sins against God, but we also, uh, we also, and, and Jesus is suffering for the worst of those sins, suffering for all of our sins, but we also get a, a foretaste of heaven itself. Uh, so those are, those are all mystery, mysterious things. They're, they're things that uh, a person who doesn't know the revealed word of God in the Bible, they, they wouldn't just come to those conclusions on their own. Uh, there are things that were, are revealed, which makes them mysterious. And so it's part of paul and Apollos' work to to teach people about those things and help them to participate in uh, god's uh, in god's church Mm.
0: i I like the way that you you tied all that together and i you know i do think the mysteries of god certainly it should include the sacraments but i appreciate the the broader emphasis particularly as you look at the context of first corinthians and the way that you you tied in you know the father's work of creation and the son's work of redemption and I think within the, the context of 1 Corinthians, when you look at chapter 2, I think you can see the, the Spirit's work of sanctification as well there in chapter 2, because, you know, how is it that these mysteries are revealed to us? Well, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, but the Holy Spirit calls me by the gospel. And so I think, you know, maybe we could say that the, these mysteries of God—this is Paul and Apollos— Proclaiming the works of the triune God, which is, I mean, that that's all of that doctrine, and then it's also these these gifts that are word plus something visual, that what we call sacraments, baptism, holy communion. That's what Paul and Apollos are stewards of. Now, I want to I want to take this verse and, and see if we can apply it more broadly. You, you said this is how one should regard us. Paul, in the context, is talking about himself and Apollos as verse six, but. How does this verse then connect to the pastoral ministry today? Should, when we when we read the us, should we also apply it to the the office of the holy ministry as it exists in the church still?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so. And I and what came to my mind as I looked at this is um, when we look back to the time of the Reformation, there really was a different, a very different understanding of the office of the ministry, as compared to the medieval Roman Catholic view. In uh, medieval Catholicism, um, we sometimes uh, speak of um, a Latin phrase, ex opera, operato, which uh, by the working of the work, and so uh, the Lord's Supper is efficacious, uh, because, just because the priest did it. And so it doesn't require any faith on the part of those uh, partaking the Lord's Supper, it's just by by the priest doing it. It's, it's like the people get left out of it, and the same thing kind of applies to the pastoral office in general, not just not just the work of a priest uh, in, in, in the Lord's Supper, but the pastoral office itself was seen as really quite there was a, quite a division between uh, clergy, pastors, um, nuns and monks as well, but uh, and and just laity. And um, uh, to have a vocation in the medieval church was only, it, you can only have a vocation uh, to be in the it, one, uh, to be a religious person, to be a pastor or to go to a, a, a monastery or a nunnery. And so the the Lutheran confessions, like the, the Augsburg Confession, like uh, article five came along and said that the pastoral office, it, it's not just about um, the person of the priest, him having a, this special character and just being of a different class than than the laity, who doesn't and and whose whose work didn't require any involvement in the laity, but rather uh, the 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 pastoral office is is through and through relational. It was it is delivering the gifts uh, of God to God's people, uh, preaching the sacraments, and and furthermore um, also equipping the saints. Uh, helping the saints to be to be themselves uh, workers co-laborers in God's kingdom, and so uh, unique from from pastors, but having uh, an indispensable role themselves as they take the gospel out into all the different nooks and crannies of their vocations and just showing God's love and developing relationships. All those things are 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 connected to the, the pastoral office, and so so that's what comes to my mind. Whenever, whenever Paul is is pointing um, to to himself and, and Apollos as stewards of the mysteries of God, he is uh, he's pointing to their work as pastors, but he's also looking at that relational character that that uh, as a steward they were delivering the gifts to God's people, and then God's people were also taking taking those out and uh, distributing them to the world around them. Uh, as 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 themselves missionaries in uh, in in the in the world, but the whole church is is missionary, not just not just the pastors. And so, that's um that's one of the things that came to my mind whenever I was looking at this, um, as as Paul is pointing people away from himself and and pointing and saying that he is he is um, a co-worker with Apollos. There's a relationship there that's important, but also uh, similarly that 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 it's not just about them; it's about what they're doing. And that is building up the church in Corinth, building them up to themselves, uh, go out and show Christ's love uh, to to Corinth and to all the places where where they uh, their spheres of influence.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean this this word, both of the words, servants and stewards, uh, make it very clear that this isn't about Paul and it's not about Apollos, but it is about Christ and and God. You know, servants of Christ, stewards of God's m- mysteries. The Lord—that's the—I mean, we translate that word in Greek, Lord. It can also be translated master. Paul, Paul, and Apollos both recognize that they are under orders, and and what are they to do? They are to do what the Lord has given them to do, which is to hand out these gifts. These these are not, you know, these mysteries. This this proclamation of the works of the triune God, the the sacraments of baptism and holy communion. These are not Paul's and Apollos. The is to do as they please, but they are to hand it over to the people of God. My, my colleague here on KFUO, Pastor Brady Finner, who hosts Thy Strong Word, always starts his program, and he says, you know, the gifts are ready, ready for you. And, and that's the job of the steward and the servant, is to take those gifts of God and then to hand them out. And that's what Paul's doing. That's what Apollos is doing. They're not doing this for their own selfish gain. And so, again, that division that exists here in Corinth over, hey, who's got the best personality, it's not the point. The point is, what are you being given from God? And, and I think, you know, that takes us into verse 2, because if, if all Paul and Apollos are are stewards, then, well, what matters? Not their personality but their faithfulness or their trustworthiness. So take us into that that primary characteristic. What does it mean for the steward, for a, a pastor, for Paul, for Apollos to be trustworthy?
1: Yeah, I yeah. I think to be trustworthy is to think about not what your own desires are, but think about what the master of the house desires. And we know that the master of the house desires the health. And the salvation of the house itself, of, of the people of God, of the church, and so that's where I again I think you have this connection with uh, with the Advent season. Uh, at least one of them um, is is that is that by by Paul and Apollos and and pastors today, uh, by being faithful stewards, they are teaching people uh, about the, the doctrine of the Bible. They are teaching people uh, about the, the fellowship of the church and and uh and sharing in fellowship with people and equipping uh, the saints to, to uh to to bring that that good news to others and so there is this this emphasis on uh again to be faithful is to to care about salvation to look at people the way that god looks at them to look at people the way that christ looks at them and we know that that, that god desires all people to be saved and that he dearly loves his his uh, his people who are who are his now, so so that that office of the ministry is to to assure people within the church uh, of their salvation, that that they are uh, viewed in his sight as as fully accepted, that to, to, that they are viewed as uh, being unified with himself, in spite of the fact that there are these divisions that are present in Corinth, and in spite of the fact that we ourselves you know, have divisions among us today, whether it be different denominations or within a within a denomination or within a congregation, within a family. Um, there are all sorts of divisions that we experience as Christians and, uh, we should, we should be concerned about those and we should work at those things. But through it all, uh, the master of the house is well-pleased with us. If we, if we believe in him, that he, he views us as, as his spotless children, dearly loved by him and is, is graciously overlooks all of our, our faults. And so um, from the previous chapter, First Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15, kind of talks about the end of the world, about the day. And it, it's brought up, that day is brought up in this text, our text as well. It talks about some of Christian works surviving the day, whereas others, you know, not so much. Um, it'd be, it, I think it even uses the language of someone escaping us through a fire. You know, some of our works are, are better than others, but... That that is a, that's a comforting thing, to know that we're not perfect as Christians. That we we do some things that are not good, and yet uh, and and those don't really do, do have as much effect, or maybe haven't have a negative effect in the world. And yet we're still part of the house. We we still have this salvation because that's the will, the desire of the the, uh, the master of the house. And the, and so faithful stewards uh, seek to teach God's people those things so that they can find uh, again assurance and salvation. And be built up as, as his house
0: yeah i mean the matter of, of being a trustworthy steward i think certainly brings to mind advent thoughts in, in terms of like the faithfulness that the lord seeks as we wait for him to return and that's you know that's where this this text goes as as paul continues he talks about the the judgment that matters isn't the judgment that comes from the corinthians it's not the judgment that comes even from himself from paul but it is the judgment who comes from that comes from his master the lord and that that judgment you know he he paul points us toward the lord's day before the lord comes that's what paul's looking forward to and and that's where again for paul and apollos what are what are they trying to accomplish among the corinthians they're trying to accomplish handing out the lord's gifts so that those Corinthians would be found with them on the last day to be faithful in the people of God, help us. Help us toward the you know these verses about Paul. What is he talking about? This judging here and and the judgment that comes when the Lord comes. Help us into those verses.
1: Yeah, it's um, when we're talking about judging uh, here. Paul kind of recalls the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven, when he talks about uh, avoiding condemning others um and um ju- I think and judge not, lest ye be judged I believe is from Matthew seven here in first Corinthians four, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes and, and uh, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart so so here Paul encourages people, or he he, he shows some confidence here. That he's ultimately not concerned about certain false judgments that are being made against him. That he knows that his it, that that his work as a pastor, as a steward, is not a popularity contest, but rather he works for the master of the house. Ultimately, just as all Christians do. That's that's where uh, where our ultimate accountability is. We we work together in our time here in the church on earth. But ultimately, our accountability is, is to God himself and to, and to Jesus. And so from that perspective, again, from a salvation perspective, Paul is saying that um, our judgments against one another, you know, that the, the judgments, I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos, and hey, Paul's got these problems, or Apollos has got these problems. He's saying ultimately that that kind of horizontal distinctions isn't what, it, what, what it's really about. The, the, the chief thing is God's great mercy for us. You know, we we have sinned a small amount against uh, we we repay small debts, Matthew 18, but we we've been an unpayable debt is our sin that Christ has forgiven us uh, through his cross. So so I believe that Paul here is pointing people to that that quit bickering with each other, quit getting fixated on divisions amongst you know, I'm this person's better than that person. Remember that Christ is a lot better than all of us, mm-hmm. and and uh, it's not just a, a better a selfish, uh, wanting him wanting to be selfish, but rather it's a better that shows the, in a universal love that, that Christ has for the human race. And, uh, and, and again, he dearly loves his people. Paul's pointing people away from that horizontal judgment to, to the judgment that comes from, from Christ, that we are all judged not guilty. We're judged perfect and unified in God's sight. Uh, because uh, because of God's grace and because of the forgiveness in Christ,
0: I think that's a, a very helpful explanation. Because it, I mean, it, it certainly gets at what Paul's saying about not judging. But it also makes sense then why he does. I mean, it sounds like he tells them what they're doing wrong <laughs> later in the letter. You know, it, it leaves yes. room for the true use of God's word to point out what we're doing wrong so that we would repent and, and stay in faith in Christ. And so I, I think you explained that very well. Uh, Pastor Dukeman. I we got about three minutes here on the morning and there, this really is a very beautiful text. I'm glad to, to get to study it during Advent, even though I wasn't quite positive about it at the beginning. I I see some of these Advent themes coming out. As, as you reflect on this text again, help us to to see what Paul's saying here. And especially how this text is pointing us to our Savior, Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I believe here, again, um, maybe the the Lutheran distinction of the two kinds of righteousness is is, is somewhat helpful. While, and you just kind of alluded to it as well, you know, while Paul can make all sorts of of, um, critiques of the Church in Corinth, problems there have, you know, that kind of distinguish between the, the being of the church and the well-being of the church. Uh, they are the church. They are God's people, but they're doing certain things that is that is making the making the church less healthy. So so Paul is encouraging, is encouraging his people uh, to, to work on those things. But also but, but but more importantly, he's coming back to the fact that ultimately. That, by that vertical righteousness that they are god's people by grace and so so that so that that unity that they have because they are god's people because he has freely made them his people that that is what can can drive them or inspire them empower them to then go out and try to to lead better lives as as god's people in corinth um and so so paul paul has words of encouragement for the for the church in corinth but he also, more importantly, has words of grace that they are God's people by his free uh, grace and forgiveness.
0: Pastor Jeff Dukeman is pastor at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Gulfport, Mississippi, helping us today with 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 5. Pastor Dukeman, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Thank you very much, Pastor Apple.
0: I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about this epistle text or any other Advent epistles, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature in the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.